house in New Orleans. They call the rising sun, and it's been a ruin of many a poor boy. And God, I know I've won. We got BG, we got Randy. We're gonna talk a little PGA Championship to start. Uh, if you live under a rock and you didn't see it, Phil Mickelson won the PGA Championship this past weekend in South Carolina, Kiowa Island, the ocean course, uh, at the age of 50, nearly 51, Andy, uh, very historic weekend for, for Phil, for his legacy and, and for the game of golf. It was a fantastic Sunday. I, I just sat down and watched it all day. Andy didn't leave the couch and Phil, he just didn't miss. He made some nice wedge shots. He had that chip in out of the bunker on five. That kind of started the uh, the push for him, and then he he found some trouble on 13 and 14, just like he did uh, on Saturday. Kind of that middle stretch of the back nine, found some bogeys there, but was able to again find a way to hang on, make a couple birdies and some pars down the stretch, and become the oldest major champion of all time. And uh, I saw a cool tweet from Shane Bacon today that Phil Mickelson now holds the title of the oldest uh, guy to ever win a major and also the last amateur to ever win on the PGA Tour. Uh, so two pretty cool ends of the spectrum there to show the kind of the longevity of Phil Mickelson's career. But <laughs> Andy, what was your reaction to the uh, the crazy weekend for Phil? Yeah, it was it just any golf fan knows Phil. Like you're always kind of anticipating like the implosion. And the way he was playing this week, it was more so like just get the ball in the fairway and then he was just hitting his irons so pure all week. Yeah, he was hitting, he was hitting the bombs and like all the different names he has for just striping it off the tee. But like he just didn't put himself in bad situations or at least like terrible situations. I mean, from he put the ball in the water on 13 off the tee on Saturday and then between then and really through the round, even making, you know, putting that one into the drink, I think again, maybe on 13, but that was, that was an approach shot to get a drop on the green. Um, but off the tee, he was just playing so well. Um, and in all the age piece, I was, I was um, thinking like watching back um, this, they were playing the Amanda Balionis interview on the green after he won yesterday. And like the way she started, like the question was like, basically it was like, you're really old. Like every question was like, you're the, oldest major winner like you're really old congratulations like do you think phil was pretty pissed off by that like all those questions about like just how old he is <laughs> because yeah. that's like the last thing like, yes like he's like he's obviously old but like that's it wasn't just like that was people that's what people are talking about like not in interviews but like all the questions were about how old he was <laughs> I mean, that was some blatant racism. I should say ageism there. Uh, Andy, <laughs> Phil's got a suit for sure. A uh, lot of ages. But I mean, what else are you going to talk about? I mean, he hasn't won. And what was that? The first one in eight years? The first major he's had in eight years? Major in eight years. He won a World Golf Championships only two or three years ago. So yeah. he's been in the winner circle, circle in elite events. You know, those WGCs are top 50 in the world. Um, but yeah, made not hasn't won a major since um, since the Open at uh, in Murfield, yeah, uh, in 2013. Almost, I mean, and he played in 2016. I think was against uh, Stenson. I mean, he probably had the the second best 
he probably had the best round on a major championship for someone who didn't end up winning the tournament because he had a record breaking round and Hendrick Stenson shot like 63 on a course where yeah. no yeah. one was breaking 70. I mean, we can, we can, that's, that's, that's a tournament for another podcast. Yeah. He's been, I mean, he's just been not relevant at all. I mean, if you look back at his, you know, even the past couple of years, I mean, it's miscuts, tied for 30th, tied for 25th, like just hasn't been anywhere on top of the leaderboard, hasn't even sniffing the top of the leaderboard. And then all of a sudden this week, like in a tough course and tough conditions with, you know, arguably a, one of the best fields in, in, in the world, um, just comes out and, and I mean, yeah, I think he won it, but really he kind of just stayed alive. Like he just didn't make mistakes for, yeah. Or didn't make he made fewer mistakes over four days than than everyone else. And yeah. for a guy like Phil, that's it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. I mean what that's what major championship golf is about is just avoiding the blow up holes. You know, making pars. The occasional birdie is nice, but you just want to make pars. And that's what he did. He avoided the big blow ups. He avoided the the poles that just go way left on him and he he just or I mm-hmm. should say the the fades that go way left on him. And, and he was just hitting his targets. I think it's so fun to listen to him talk through shots with his caddy, uh, who's his oh, brother, yeah. and he's just talking about hitting a Pell's nine iron, which is like a basically <laughs> like a three quarter nine iron. Uh, and it's just so fun to listen. Do you want do you want a Pell's nine or a full wedge or what are you thinking here? And he's just he's a master, and it's so fun to watch him work around the greens. And I mean, his putting his green speed was just dialed, and he was just hitting everything inside five feet, and that's what you have to do. Uh, to win a major championship, and he he did everything he needed to do this week, um, and he was hitting bombs. That drive on sixteen uh, on Sunday, three sixty six, drove it past Kepka by like you know seven seven eight yards. I mean, Kepka's got a bum knee, but still, that's a fifty year old up powering the the longest hitter in golf, or one of them, in Brooks Kepka. I mean, that's incredible. Obviously, there's some adrenaline going there as you got three holes to play in a major championship, but that was. That was nuked, and when he hit that shot, it was pretty much, in my mind, over from there because, you know, you do that right down the middle on a tough driving hole. Hey, I mean, you got all the, you got all the confidence in the world after that shot, and he, he hung on. He did get a little uh, – it got a little hairy on 17, hit it long, and, and had that nasty chip out of the fescue there with water behind, but he just kind of knuckled it out there and got it back onto the green, did what he needed to do, made the four, and, and got out of there. But it was, uh, it was a pretty clutch performance, Andy. It was fun to watch Phil do that. Something we're all going to remember for a long time. Yeah, I mean, he played even like, I mean, we could go shot by shot, but even that shot in 17, I mean, all he has to do is not hit in the water and, you know, he goes long. And then, I mean, just just how methodical he was. I mean, kind of like, I don't want to say Tiger-esque, just because you can't compare anyone to Tiger, but when Tiger won uh, at Augusta two years ago, I mean, he won it by hitting to the middle of the green, playing safe, letting the guys around him collapse, just using his knowledge of the course to just end up on top. And, you know, at a different course, the circumstances were a little different from Phil, but it kind of felt the same where like, he knew he knew exactly what he needed to do to win the tournament. And you had other guys who were playing their game and not, and not playing the course, like a windy course. We have, we have to hit a bunch of different shots. Um, Phil did what he had to do to, to play the best golf on that course. And that's, you know, he's, I, I doubt he slept 
I, I, yeah. I saw his Twitter account. He was tweeting all night, Love all it. night. He was tweeting. Um, and yeah, he's just, he's just gotta be on top of the world right now. Yeah. And he's playing this next week. I don't know where they're going or where the tournament's at, but Phil is set to play. Maybe he'll withdraw. Uh, but he's as of now set to play <laughs> next week, starting Thursday. Uh, how about that, that scene at the end, similar to the tiger 2018 tour championship, uh, where they let the fans walk behind the final group. It got a little out of hand because they kind of lost control of the crowd for a little bit there. And uh, Brooks got caught up back in the crowd and said, he said somebody was banging into his knee in the post-game presser. Was he, he was not happy because he thought it was intentional I, too. He thought somebody was trying to hurt him and he got caught in that hurt I, and he was pissed. Uh-huh. I, I got on the Brooks train uh, at the beginning of the week, just like his comments around like just come back from injury and just kind of his demeanor. Some people like for some people it turns him off. And then his comments after that on yesterday where he's like, yeah, I don't say someone was trying to, but he implied that like, it almost seemed like that he implied that like the Phil fans were like, they weren't charging to, you know, to mob Phil. They were charging to like, go up and like <laughs> like kick and like punch uh Brooks's bum knee and like he was definitely pissed about it and and I mean I think it was the culmination uh for Brooks. I mean he just got mind fucked by Phil Nicholson yesterday. I mean Phil was in Brooks Kepka's head all day yesterday, just slow playing the shit out of him. Um and I think it came to that season scene on 18. That was kind of a boiling point for Brooks where he was like, you know, screw this. Probably some realization that he's never going to have a crowd like that in his life. He could go on to win 15 majors and there's never going to be a crowd like that of people mobbing Brooks Kepka. Um, and he was just, it was just an, it was just a tough end to an already shitty day. Yeah. I think that was well put Andy. Um, BG, did you catch any <laughs> golf? Fortunately, I did not this weekend, but it sounded like um, it was a great story with Phil Mickelson, yeah. and he's one of the golfers I really like because he's a lefty, yep. so I was Just happy like you, to baby. see him win it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk a little wild hockey. Uh, down 3-1 now in the series as we go into, well, after that, by the time this pod comes out, we'll know the outcome of game five, uh, but the wild after taking... Game one on the road in Vegas have dropped three straight. They haven't scored a goal in, uh, let me think, like nine periods or something like that. Um, it, it's been awful. It's been absolutely awful. They had a goal called back uh, the other night. They had that goal called back uh, in game two, I believe it was. and Or no, it was game three. And really since that first goal was called back from for the offsides, they, they just haven't looked the same. They just haven't looked good. They haven't, we haven't seen that burst of speed, that, that puck control and the shots on net and the constantly attacking and pressuring Marc-Andre Fleury, who's been a, a, just an absolute wall in this series. But without that constant pressure, we're not getting pucks past him. And, BG, it could be over. It could be over by the time this pot comes out. Yeah, after they called that first goal back, um, in game three, like you said, by Erickson Eck. Just from there, it's like we're watching the third and fourth line guys go up against the Golden Knights every night. And it's just so deflating to see that. Um, and for that goal to be called back, because if you remember in that game, we would have gone up three to zero, I think it was. 
which would have been a huge mountain for the for the Knights to climb to come back and beat the Wild. But since then, we're just getting outplayed. Um, and in the last game, that goal also got called back against Erickson Ekin. Before they even went to review it, once you heard they were going to review it, you knew that no way the goal was going to stand. Not because it was illegal, but that's just how Minnesota teams go um, in the playoffs. When one thing is seeming right, like we win on the road against the number one team, we know it's too good to be true. And I know it seems like we say this every every season for a Minnesota sport, but it's just too bad. Um, and I don't going in tonight um, with the fifth game now in Vegas, but I do think that I'm going to take one for the team tonight and not watch the game because I didn't watch the first game and we won and I've watched the past three and we've lost every single game. Mm. So yes. I'm taking one for the team, not going to watch it tonight, partly because it starts at nine 30. Uh, but the real reason why is because uh, we haven't won when I've watched in this playoff season. Yep. So hopefully that continues tonight and, and we live another night. Yeah. 9.30 past your bedtime, BG? <laughs> well, it's my bedtime's around 10 to 10.15, so um, just don't want to see a bad period when we're down and then go to bed angry. Yeah, well, that's what I'll be doing. <laughs> and Zach's coming over tonight to watch the game, so we might have some live reaction post-game at the end of this pod. Um, so you might be hearing some live reaction after the game and just a little bit on the pod here. Uh, but it... it that game four officiating BG and, and really this whole series has seemed, and obviously we're biased as, <clears throat> as Minnesota Wild fans, but it, it seemed very uneven. And, and if you saw the cross-check penalty, um, who wasn't on? It, he, the guy snapped his, snit, uh, his stick on the uh, Vegas defender or whatever, and they called a cross-check. And then I, I saw a video on Twitter, so the, the two penalties, or the, that penalty, and then another time, yeah, I think it was game three, where Kirill was up against the boards and just getting hammered in the back like three times with the total cross check hits him all the way down to the ground and that was a no call and then and then you see what our player does just barely hits him on the back must have hit him in just the right spot because his stick snapped but the guy didn't even move like the the, the Vegas player didn't even move he didn't flinch whereas Kaprizov Kaprizov I should say fell all the way to the ground like he fell to the ice uh, after being hit in the back several times with the stick and then the goalie interference that was just bogus. I mean, his stick, his skate rather, was in that that crease area. Maybe as it went in, not before it was shot, but but maybe it got in there at the end. I mean, where is the rule like in the NFL where if it's super close, you just leave it with the call on the ice, especially when a team's down 2-1 to one and they're at home. I mean, why is Vegas getting every call? Why is Vegas getting calls at our place that we should be getting at our place? I mean, that was ridiculous. It's, it seems to me that it's been very unequal. I don't know the number of penalties that each squad, squad has. It seems like we've been penalized on every little ticky-tack thing, whereas Vegas can get away with murder, and they're not getting you know anything. They're not even getting penalized for it. But we'll see yeah. what happens. It's been a I disappointing that- series. Yeah, I think part of the game, just in all professional sports, the part of the game is the referees. And it's human nature to make some calls and miss some calls where um, in game four, that goal that got taken back from Erickson Eck, well, he was supposedly in the crease and goalie interference, which was a very questionable call. Um, I guess if we had somebody on here who was really passionate about hockey and knew more, they would just be cussing it out that the, the goal should have stood for the wild. But it's just too bad that you can go and review goals, um, even if they didn't necessarily impact the goal. 
Like that one obviously did, but there was an early example in the example in the series where a guy was offsides by a foot and he didn't even get the puck to begin with. And the goal got called back. Um, and I think that's just a, a trend that all professional sports are going where they want to get everything right, which I know is a good ideology in theory. But when you have pitch zones in the MLB that are done by a computer or a robot, whatever you want to call it, and not a physical person behind the, behind the base, you kind of lose some of the natural feel you have to the sport and the history behind it and where it's came from in basketball, especially in the NBA, just the amount of stuff that you look at, look at during late game scenarios. It's like teams have 10 time, 10 timeouts in the second half, which just draws away from the game so much. And we're seeing that in the NHL too. Now that you can challenge this, I'm, I'm down for having more correct calls, but I think it comes at a cost. And we're certainly seeing that in the NHL playoffs right now, and the NBA playoffs right now, it just takes forever to get through a game. And for me, it loses its fun it's, and its authenticity. So those are my two thoughts on that. I mean, there's certainly an aspect to reviewing that you like, getting the, the calls right, getting the time left on the, on the shot clock or on the game clock right. Um, but when you have an offsides, like in that hockey game, two, in game three, that was missed by the ref, missed by the officials on the ice, 13 seconds later, and it wasn't even like it was a breakaway or anything like that. It was 13 seconds later, the Wild score goal. And, I mean, you gotta, you got to give credit to the Vegas coaching staff because the two challenges they've done this series have both been successful. They both back, called back Eric's net goals. And those weren't, I don't think at least those were um, NHL reviews. Those were Vegas challenging the call on the ice saying, Hey, this guy was offsides. This was goalie interference. And that comes at, at kind of a steep cost in the NHL. I mean, if you challenge the play and you're wrong, then the other team gets to go on the power play and you have to put somebody in the box for two minutes. So the, there is kind of a, a give and take with the challenges in the NHL. But that being said, 13 seconds, like the offsides should not be able to be challenged. That's a horrible, hor- I mean, if it's on a fast break or something like that and he's offsides, I get it. If it leads directly to the goal, I get it. But if it's just offsides, the play continues, they go into a set, they score going off that set, and you're going to go back and say, oh, no, 13 seconds ago they were offsides, and uh, so we're calling that one back. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's like, I don't even know what that, that, that's like to compare it to another sport, but that, that would be like, I guess, scoring a touchdown, the touchdown stands, and then they go back and say, like, oh, no, we're going to challenge because the left guard flinched. Well, no, if the, if the officials missed the call on the field and they didn't see the left guard flinch, you can't go back and challenge that play. And, I mean, that's what it would be like, and it's just a stupid, stupid rule, in my opinion. I think that definitely won't change because of the Minnesota Wild. I mean, it's not like a Brett Favre situation where he just gets hammered for four straight quarters and then they change rules to protect the quarterback. I mean, they're not going to change rules for the Minnesota Wild in this situation. It's just a dumb rule in my mind. I didn't know they uh, penalized the team with a power play if they get the challenge wrong in the NHL. I do like that. Then it just makes it more of a risk and not just, okay, I'm going to challenge it to challenge it. So I I guess I do like that aspect. But, yeah, being offsides there did not impact the play at all. If he was six inches behind the line, we still would have scored that goal. It's not like we had a – competitive advantage but if I was the Knights head coach I for sure would have challenged it and credit to him for doing it because uh saved him a goal maybe saved him the series because that would have been a nightmare going down three nothing um in game three with a chance to the wild to get up two one on home ice and it goes completely the other way now they're up three one we're going back to their place 
Um, that being said, final thought here on the wild in the most Minnesota fashion possible. I could see this team winning tonight. I could see this team playing excellent hockey, finding a way to win again in Vegas, putting this game or this series at three and two and having a chance to come back home and send it to game seven. And honestly, I could see him winning game six. I could see him winning the next two, going to Vegas and losing in a heartbreaking fashion to lose the series and be eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, but we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. It could end tonight. I could be completely wrong. They could get, you know, absolutely swept off the ice tonight and lose five nothing and have the season be over now. But either way, we got some good young stars, and I think we have a, a pretty good goaltender in Talbot and definitely some some stuff to work with the next few years in Minnesota. Um, BG, you want to talk a little NBA playoffs? You've been you've been watching any of the playoffs? Yeah, I was watching tonight a little bit. Um... So we're in the first round of the actual playoffs now that the playing games have finished. Uh, the Lakers made it out of the West. I don't think anybody was surprised about that. The Warriors did not, which may have been a surprise to some. And the Grizzlies made it for that eighth seed in the West, which I think is pretty cool because Tyus Jones uh, makes it to the playoffs. And he's actually a pretty um, solid player in the rotation and getting nice. minutes. Um, actually, when we're on the topic of Tyus Jones, I'm going to read a stat that I had about him. With 259 assists and 48 turnovers this season, which is a 5.4 assist-to-turnover ratio, Tyus Jones led the NBA in assist-to-turnover ratio for the third straight season, which is pretty awesome. And I don't think anybody Dang. would have guessed that without pulling those stats together. No, that's a, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's sweet. Um, but Grizzlies made it to the Western playoffs. They actually beat the Jazz in the first game. So the eighth seed um, upset the number one seed in the Utah Jazz, which was a surprise, but they didn't have Donovan Mitchell, but still a great win for them. For the East, who made it? Um, the Wizards made it from the playing game to the Eastern playoffs, and then the Celtics, I think, did. I guess I haven't been paying too yep. much atten- attention to the East, but... Yep. Um, just to summarize, yeah, we're in our, they're in the second game of the first round. I know the heat and the Bucks were playing earlier tonight and the Bucks were up 30. So they're going to get a two Oh lead. And then some other team is playing later tonight, but there hasn't been too many surprises. Um, besides the eight and one upset, the Lakers lost the first game to the Suns, and they're a seven seed. And I was happy to see that. So other than that, not too do Too the many Suns, crazy things happening. Do the Suns have a chance in that one, BG? Or I mean, I obviously the two seed. They're uh, at least by the seeds favored, but do they have a chance to win that series? They obviously won the first game. It, yeah, it's pretty crazy. The so the Lakers are the seventh seed. Suns are the two. It's the first time ever in the modern NBA playoffs history that a seventh seed has been the favorite to win the series. So before the series started. Uh, the Lakers were the favorites in Vegas. Obviously, I'm guessing that probably switched now to the Suns after going down 0-1. to one. Um, I, I think you always have a chance when you have LeBron James on your team, especially when you also have Anthony Davis. Um, so the Lakers are definitely not out of it in yeah. any way. I do think that the Suns are the better team. They've been pretty much healthy the whole year. The Lakers have been struggling to keep all their guys healthy and they're just kind of rushing back to it now. Um, so I, I think that I think the Suns are going to win the series. 
And I really, really hope they do because they've got a sweet team with Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton. And as people know, I'm not the hugest LeBron fan. So go yeah. Suns. Yeah. And LeBron just had a horrible flop game one. I don't know if you guys saw that. Horrible. I didn't actually. Fuels sounds, the fire. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like LeBron. It sounds exactly like LeBron. I'm sure Boone was uh, upset after the game one loss. Looks like they play tonight. Um, no start time, but it's on TNT. I guess it looks like all the games are on TNT. So one stop <laughs> shop here for, uh, for NBA <laughs> playoff coverage. Uh, let's talk twins for just a second. And then we'll, we'll wrap it up and go watch some wild hockey. Uh, we've won the three of our last four boys. They're still terrible. They're still way below 500, 12 games. They sit below 500 at the moment, 17 and 29, but they've won three of the last four. Like I mentioned, they're still banged up. And we got so many guys out. Maeda's out. Um, uh, Pin- who's the other? Who's that guy? Uh, our pitcher starts with the P. Pinta, something like that. Pineda, Pineda, and Maeda. Yeah. Both those guys are now on the IR. Uh, IR. What are they calling it? IR these days. Um, Boxton's out. I think I don't even know all the names, but they're so banged up right now. They got a, mitch, a, a mismatch lineup every single night, and. Uh, but they're grinding. They're grinding absolutely right now, BG. And if they can get back to close to 500 before that July 30th deadline, and really, it's really kind of in the next three weeks, they have that window to get back to to 500, or at least a lot closer to 500 than they are right now, for them to realistically not be sellers at the uh, trade deadline. And this team has so much talent. I mean, I just I want them to win like two or three more series, get on a little stretch here. Win like seven out of eight or like nine out of the next 12, something like that. Get back into that ballpark of being right around 500. They won't have to trade Nelson Cruz. They won't have to trade all their assets at the deadline. And it would be awesome. It would be awesome to see this team turn it around. They can get healthy and they can. They have all the talent. We've seen them do it the last couple of years, at least in the regular season, to win the AL Central. And they're, they're going to need to do it. Fortunately for us, we got... Uh, pretty easy schedule coming up. We got the Orioles tonight. We're up 2-1 on them. Top of the eighth inning. If they can hang on and get a win here, that would move us to 11 games below 500. We got two more against the Orioles before we play Kansas City for three straight nights. They're one game below 500. So that would obviously be good for, for us in, in, in the division as well so we can make up some ground there. But the Twins, they're grinding. They're absolutely grinding right now, and they just need to keep – Keep grinding until they get some of these stars back, some of these good, healthy pitchers back, and then they can make a run in the summer. But it's uh, they're, they're right on the fence right now. They're right on the fence right now between being buyers or sellers, and we're just going to have to see how they play the next two weeks. BG, Andy, any thoughts on the Minnesota Twins? I just think we need to get on a string of wins, um, and I think that'll help us out a bunch mentally because baseball, Ball is a really mental sport. And with the talent we have, of course, like you said, a lot of it has to do with injuries and our guys being out. But with the talent we have and having the record we have, it's just I think it's weighing on the guys on the roster. And you can see that where we score zero or one to two runs a game and our pitchers give up ten runs a game. It's just not so um, like you said, we've won three or three of the past four. If we can keep this going, especially with the easier schedule ahead, I think we'll do tremendous things for us later in the season and start to turn this ball club around and 
start to play with a lot of swagger. We just won our first uh, extra innings game of the season mm-hmm. a couple of games ago, and we've been in eight extra game innings this season and easily could have gone, obviously, 8-0 um, if we just outscore them in that extra inning. So just having those little things come together, yeah, uh, I, I think is not too far away for this club. Um, hopefully we can get Kepler, Sano, Buxton, all on the field at one point. I don't know how often we've done that, but it's, yeah, the, the talent's there. We just got to put it together and get some confidence back. Yeah, and one thing to mention on that overtime, or that I should say extra innings win, Kyle Garlick, I mean, he's been bombing the ball. He hit another home run tonight. It was like 440 that game where he hit that three-run home run. Uh, I think it was a three-run homer at least. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, Shout-out to him, dude. Left fielder coming out of nowhere. He's got two dingers now in the last, I think, three days. Um, Is he a young guy? Um, I don't know how young he is. Let's see. You know, he's twenty. He's twenty nine. He's not super young, but he's not okay. Terribly old. He's definitely older for MLB players, but uh, yeah, twenty nine year old left fielder. All right, last segment of the show. I sound uh, sound like I've been just bopped in the nose about fifteen times. <laughs> I have terrible allergies during this wild game, but Zach and I beat the the crap out of them right early. Yeah, right you did. This. But Zachary, the Minnesota Wild have won the hockey game. They've advanced to Game Six, three to two now, heading back to Minnesota. Uh, no word. I'm going to look it up right now. Uh, I should have done this before we started recording this segment, but no word as of yet that the Minnesota Wild are allowing more than four thousand fans at Game Six, but. They, they should be. They better. They should be. And and you were saying that the uh, June twenty eighth or sorry May twenty eighth twenty eighth yeah and they play the twenty seventh yeah they play the twenty seventh um, Wednesday night game six down three to two in this series after a huge huge win uh, let's see no news on it if date if well, uh, I don't think Dayton's much of a sports fan um, who is that. Dayton, or no, no, not Dayton. Who's our new governor? Uh, Tim Walls. Chairman Walls. Chairman Walls. I don't think he's much of a sports fan. Because <laughs> if he was, man, and hopefully he proves us wrong on Wednesday, he's going to, he'd he'd allow it. Yeah. He has to. We, I we, hope We're he not going to win with 4,000 sand. Like, we're we not need 10,000. I mean, that's let's, let's talk game first, and then we'll get into some ranting about Chairman Walls. Uh, but also the reason why we're talking so quiet, it is currently 1.22 in the morning. We had just... Uh, turned on the Winnipeg Jets and Edmonton Oilers triple overtime game uh, and decided to watch that before we start recording the last segment of the pod. So that's why we're whispering. Everybody else is sleeping. So we got to be kind of quiet. Uh, but back to the Minnesota Wild. What a game. What a game. They get seven shots in the first period. They score on three of them. Uh, Kaprizov, unbelievable goal. What a feed from Zuccarello. That was, I mean, that was ridiculous to tie it up. And and then Parisi gets the goal off uh, Andre Fleury off the back of him. Pretty lucky, but, like, that's what he's done his whole career. Just throw him off the back of the goalie, let him go in, right? Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, that was uh, one of those games where, and I think we were talking about before earlier, it was like, man, I don't even know if I want to watch this first period after everything that's happened before. Yeah. And this, and, but that was just one of those games where, kind of gives you hope for what's going to happen here because if if we can if we can take this back to 
uh, get a win back in Minnesota. It's, it's a clean slate. We just got to grind out and do whatever we can to get a win. Game seven, obviously, we got to take this one game at a time, but uh feels really good. It was really yeah. good holding that lead because, man, that three to one lead that just felt so unsafe that whole time. And that second period, man, I, I was ready to I was ready to walk away. It was yeah, twenty two to one. We got out. Shot. Yeah, um, and Talbot held up. He only let did. in one goal. I think it was on the power play. It oh might not have. It might have been after, but yeah, I don't remember. Actually. Nevertheless, we took a. I mean, he took a hit in that second period. Just you know, grade A scoring chance after grade A oh, scoring my chance. And they only let up one goal. They got out of the period. It was a horrible, horrible period of hockey if you're a Minnesota Wild fan. Uh, and then they just held on. They held on in, in the third period. They came out flying. They were a little more aggressive. They got some good possessions. They had, you know, maybe three or four pretty quality possessions in the first five minutes of that period that really kind of settled them down. That, I mean, in those first three possessions that they had on the offensive end, that was more ice time and more puck possession than they had in the entire second period, just in the first three possession, possessions um, in that third period. I mean, that kind of settled them down, and then they just played good defense and blocked any, any opportunities they had. Talbot had a few beautiful saves uh, in that third period, and they held on. They held on. They got that empty netter. Who even scored that one? Do we ever figure st- that out? Uh, Strum? Or Sturm, Str- yeah, Sturm, Sturm, Sturm. <laughs> Sturm. There's an S, a T, a U, an R, and an M. And in some order, some order, some order that that guy yeah. scored. Ah, uh, like like you were saying before, that was it was the second period felt like one big penalty kill. Like it just didn't feel like we had it did. Grasp it felt like all. we were man down the entire, the entire second period. period. And yeah. I was very nervous for the third, and that yeah. made me very happy to see that. Yeah, we we um we got our heads out of our keisters, and we were starting to skate more and. Like you said, he had more more ice time, I think, in that first three minutes than we did. Yeah. The first, uh, um, um, what's the word? Second period. Or yeah, we or we had more um, possession. Possession. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the thing too, where that makes you feel really good coming into um, game six. Game six here is that we we, we fought back. It felt we were down. I, I looked yeah. at the scores three to two. I'm like, no, there's no way we're down. We're down two goals probably here. Yep. We're up three or we're up one. I'm like, all right, well. You know, we hold on to this. We're good, and we we scored that empty net. That just felt amazing. Yeah, it's we gotta feel pretty good coming into this. I, obviously, we don't want to be down three two. We're going home. Hopefully, well, we hopefully we can get ten thousand fans in there, whatever. And we just gotta play one game at a time here. Yeah. But man, if we can get to game seven, I, you gotta think that Minnesota's got the momentum going yeah. in that game for sure. I mean, if they get to game seven, it's back in Vegas where we played pretty well. We played. Three really quality games. Their game one, we played fantastic. And historically, we've been doing pretty well. In, in yeah. Vegas. We, we've, yeah, we've had their number, and just this just this postseason, I don't know. We've just had a rough time with them. We can't deal with them. And maybe maybe it is the difference between the fans. Yeah. I'd like to say it is a big difference, but um, that was a big big win. Yeah, going into Vegas in, inside a by the way a packed T-Mobile Arena. They call it the uh, Fortress. Yeah, uh, out there in Vegas in, inside it. Packed. I think they had what did they say ten thousand, right? They even they had more or twelve thousand. Excuse yeah, me, 12, yeah, twelve thousand fans in there tonight. Uh, but it looked like maybe seventy five percent capacity. We were just kind of guessing there, but it looked like it was you know three quarters full, and they were rocking. I mean, Vegas is always rocking uh, with all their light shows and everything they do before the games and the intermissions, and it it, it makes a difference. It's probably the hardest place to win in the NHL. Yeah, I think you're right. And the Wild have found a way to win two in the playoffs. Um, and Hey, why not one more go back to Vegas for game seven and you never know. 
You never you know. know what can happen in Game 7. Talbot shows up like he did tonight. Didn't play maybe his best game uh, in, in Game 4, but got a little more help on the defensive end tonight. Got a few more blocks yeah. in front of the net. That helped a lot, and he made a few big saves when we needed him to. And we're going to need him to do that two more games. Yeah. yeah. I feel like if we can um, stop those... those um fast breaks from from Vegas and yeah. just either prevent those or just just do some do more than we've been doing yeah well we did a good job on it tonight I mean in game four they destroyed us on those fast breaks stone and tuck they're just oh my goodness big and they're fast and they got a lot they got a lot of puck skills and they can yeah. split defenders and they were doing it in game four unfortunately tonight there was just more uh of a concentration of an effort to collapse on those guys collapse on those rushing def- uh offenders offenders Offensivers. Off- yeah, offenders. We'll call it offensivers. I like offensivers, that better. Yeah, it sounds yeah, less yeah. offensive. Yep. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> but they did a better job on it tonight. They did a lot better job of of avoiding those big rushes where they're giving up the the one on ones with the goalie and the and the biggest Knights player, and they just they didn't allow it tonight, and it was a big difference. The the thing that really frustrates me is that we haven't played a full game this this uh, this series besides game one. That was a scary. That was an awesome game. That was a, that was one of our most hard hardest fought games of the uh, the season. I thought, um, but but still too, there was a lot to work on in that game. I mean, Talbot faced like forty two shots that game. Like we we needed to do a little more on the defensive side, um, block with more shots, and and obviously we just it was a, it was a back and forth game. But since game one, I mean, this we haven't played a full game yet. We no. really haven't. We we just stopped playing in the second yeah. period this game. Um, this was, you know, obviously we won this game. And see, I feel pretty good about this game. It's probably our second best game we played this series. But still, you, you look back and you're like, man, guys, you, you can't, you can't just let let them outscore you, outshoot you 20, 22 to one in that in that period. And mm-hmm. you just feel like they stopped skating, they stopped trying. And obviously, that's not the case. They don't stop trying, but they just got dominated by Vegas. And so they can somehow to fix that, play an entire game here um, at the XL and, and put a put a statement win win together somehow. However, we got to do it. Get to um, game seven. Get maybe. to game seven. That's, That's all, all we, need, we need. That's all yep. we need. And then it's an even slate. So yep. it's exciting. Well, I'm happy we got to do this segment tonight, Zachary, because that means the wild one. And they did three to two. Sir. Heading to game six back in Minneapolis Thursday, excuse me, Wednesday night. Maybe we'll do a live pot right after it. Um, we'll see. We'll see. And we'll see you guys all then. Another turning point of folks stuck in the road. Time grabs you by the wrist, directs you where to go. So make the best of this test and don't ask why. It's not a question but a lesson learned in time. It's something unpredictable, but in the end that's right. I hope you have the time of your life. And still frames in your mind Hanging on a shelf and good up in good times Tattoos of memories and dead skin on trial For what it's worth, it was worth all the while It's something unpredictable In the end that's right I hope you have the time of your life
something unpredictable In the end that's right I hope you have the time of your life It's something unpredictable In the end that's right I hope you have the time of your life That was awesome, guys. That was, that was awesome. That whistle part was really good. Thank that you.